This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going well, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm feeling rested and relaxed after the 4th of July weekend, which we are just now recovering from. It's uh, Wednesday morning and I finally feel like I can catch my breath again. <laughs> How are you feeling after your 4th of July experience? I'm feeling good. It's a rainy day today. It's always like rainy summer days are depressing. They bum me out. Yeah, I have a different relationship to rainy days because my wife works at Fika, the bakery, and so rainy days are always way better days for her because that's when people want to get inside instead of spending their time outside. A lot busier. Yeah. I think I woke up this morning, I looked outside, and I had like a flashback to being a kid in the summer and like playing Little League or Babe Ruth baseball or youth soccer and knowing that like a rainy day, you're like, is this going to break or is our game going to get canceled? And I would spend my whole day thinking about like, whether the game was going to get canceled because that's like what I spent all my time looking forward to. Yeah. We had a small house with a bunch of kids. So a rainy day meant you were all stuck inside the house like until you just decided, I can't take this anymore. I'm going to go play in the mud. Right. Well, about 30 years after you were a kid, they invented a a thing called video games and that's what I occupied my (laughs) time with when I was young. So rainy days were always fun for me too. It was always a fight over the uh, television when I was packed in the house with the six of us. Right. As number five and the second boy, I didn't win that fight very often. So it was a lot of, you know, with four sisters, there was a lot of officer and a gentleman and mystic pizza viewing on rainy days, which is not really right in the wheelhouse of like the eight-year-old boy. Yeah, I I have a pretty good like pop culture reference timeline and I have no idea what those two things were that you you just said. Oh, wow. So you finally alienated me completely. (laughs) I have no idea what those programs are. You just need to expand beyond your lifespan once in a while. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I, okay, so I may have shared this with you before, but Netflix my, has older movies, you know this? I know, and my sister is 14 years older than me, so I have a breadth of 80s love and knowledge that I got handed down from her, and if you go back any further than that, I can't help you, <laughs> until you get back to like 50s and 60s television, which is where my dad was growing up. <laughs> so, so you have this massive gap. Yes, from the 70s to the 80s, there's that, you know, 10 year time period where I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> Well, aside from my rainy day depression here, yeah, the fourth was great. (laughs) Yeah. Lots of people up. Did it seem more or less than years previous? You know, I talked to some restaurant owners who said they were kind of surprised that they, I mean, they were busy Friday and Saturday and Sunday, but not maybe as slammed as they expected to be. And I think that's just a result of when you get really beautiful, hot summer days like that on a holiday weekend. It, like you said, with Fika, if it were raining just a little bit, more people were forced inside. They'd sit inside and eat and drink all day. But instead, they probably went to, I would guess the grocery stores did phenomenally because everyone mm-hmm. was getting stuff to go to the beach or go outside or go out on a boat. Yeah. I mooched off a couple of friends with boats, which is the best way to do it. Well, yeah, the water was definitely the place to be this weekend. Like you said, the temperatures, it was hot and humid. Uh, I did a cookout on the 4th and that was still like even in the afternoon or in the beginning of the evening, it was still hot and humid. I was like, man, today would have been the day 
to be on the water. Yeah, it was great out there. And even on the water, it was really hot. Did you get to any of the fireworks shows? I did not see fireworks this year, unfortunately, because, and I did pitch the idea of bringing my 18 month old son to the fireworks. And I was like, yeah, it's going to be his first fireworks. It's going to be really cool. And my wife was like, he goes to bed at seven o'clock. Fireworks don't start until like 930. So he's not going to be available for those. See, we braved it. We took Connor, our little 13 month old, and he made it to about nine o'clock, saw the beginning of the fireworks. And then we literally sat pretty much right underneath where the fireworks were going off. He slept through them. Huh. He is a remarkable sleeper. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah. Great job, Connor. I, I was <laughs> afraid that if we put him down for a nap and then woke him up around nine and took him to the fireworks, that the first one would go off. Like we would spend the time trying to find parking, get down there, set up. First one would go off. He would freak out and we'd have to leave. Yeah. So... We decided we'll wait till he's, you know, two and a half next year and do the first fireworks then. But we did send out some people to fireworks. Our Filmworks intern, Rachel Lucas, checked out Sturgeon Bay's fireworks and said that that was really great. And then our arts and outdoor intern, Jessica Gatta, went up to Gills Rock for the fireworks. So we we had the pulse present spread out from the <laughs> base to the tip of the peninsula. Yeah. And then I even made it out to Chambers Island to see their Fourth of July parade, which is a very unique experience. I would assume it would be. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a lot of like the junker cars that people keep on Chambers Island, just kind of going in a little loop for about 100 people. So it was entertaining. I saw a parade. Yeah, probably a story for another episode, but I am infinitely fascinated with what the community looks like on Chambers Island because <laughs> yeah. I have no clue. And I'm sure we've written about it in the past, but maybe we should do a Chambers Island deep dive on an episode coming up. Yeah, we should send you over there for the experience. All right, I'm on my way. So get ready for for me, Chambers Island. <laughs> Why don't we jump into the news this week? There's a couple of pieces that I wanted to touch on. I think... First, why don't we look at kind of an update or a progression on a developing story around short-term rental ordinances. So Deborah Fitzgerald and I spoke about this maybe a month or two ago on the podcast when it had first been proposed in Sevastopol, and now Liberty Grove has made some some movement on short-term rental ordinances. So to kind of back me up a little bit, give me the background on what this story is about and then specifically where we're at now. Yeah, Deb's been doing a great job covering this for us for the last few months. And, you know, it's a hot topic, especially with property owners who have invested in properties with the intent of being able to rent them all or part of the year to cover their mortgage, essentially, and also as an investment piece. And a bunch of different communities in the county are looking at different ordinances to I, I guess you'd say reel it in or control or just add some regulation to this market because a quick version of it is basically like people live in you know, rural areas or residential communities and now they are in some ways becoming commercial communities because even if you live in a very little traveled road, if you suddenly you have five uh, houses on that road that are becoming short-term rentals, you have more traffic, you might have more noise, you might have a lot of different uses that aren't necessarily part of the zoning code for that area of the county. So a lot of communities are looking at ways to kind of control that and make sure that they maintain the character. And also, I think in in some cases, there's motivation to squeeze out short-term rentals because of the fear over it kind of dominating the housing stock. Yeah, I, I find that interesting. And there's probably an element to it too of like, say you buy a house in a neighborhood and your neighbors on either side are full-term residents or, or part-time residents. And then, you know, a year of that, two years of that, five years of that goes by. And then they both decide that they're going to start renting in 
the off season or during the season. And now you don't have that same neighborhood feel anymore, right? You don't have your next door neighbors. You have a revolving door of strangers coming through constantly, you know, instead of having husband and wife next door and, you know, four person family on the other side, you have 15 new people every single week or multiple times a week that are coming in and out constantly. And it just changes the dynamic of, the neighborhood as well. That's probably part of the concern and why they're the other part of this too is um, like a 24 seven hotline that people can yes. call about this. And we'll, we'll get into kind of the, the details here in a minute, but that's probably the other side of it too. Yeah. So Liberty Grove has passed an ordinance and in Sevastopol, most listeners might know Sevastopol is looking at an ordinance that would limit the number of days you could rent your property for. So it would really squeeze kind of the business model in the town of Sevastopol, which I can definitely see why a property owner who say bought a house two years ago at a certain price and they bought that house under the rules at the time thinking, okay, I'm going to be able to cover my mortgage by renting it whenever I want to. And that'll, that'll make this a good investment. And then for them to change that and now limit the number of times you can rent it, that actually like drastically impacts somebody's ability to even afford that home potentially. So there's a big question over whether or not they'd actually be able to do that retroactively like that. If they actually do pass that, they'll probably get some sort of lawsuit. In Liberty Grove, they aren't trying to limit how much you're renting it, but they are trying to limit some of the uses. You know, some people rent these vacation rental homes and they host a wedding there or reunion or big parties with 100 people. So they are limiting the number of times in a year it can be used for a wedding or massive gathering like that to just six, just like it exists for businesses around Liberty Grove. So like wedding venues in Liberty Grove are limited to six events a year. So these vacation places are limited the same way. And they're going to institute a fee. First time fee is $250 a year. After that, it goes to $150 for renewal. And then then you're permitted to rent it short term. And then one of the big things they're doing is they're using a firm called Granicus to kind of scour websites to make sure that short-term rental businesses are operating correctly and that they are not kind of putting out false advertising. So if they are permitted as say like a three bedroom, two bath residence and can sleep say six or eight or 10, this firm, this outside firm will scour websites to make sure that that person is not advertising as, oh yeah, we're a three bedroom, two bath, but sleeps 15. So it's just basically that is put in based on water usage. Like the town is saying that it's protecting the kind of the water supply in the township. But it also is something that the neighbors then will know. Like, okay, here's a three-bedroom, two-bath house. For instance, like the house across the street from me just came up for sale. It sold within a week, like every house up here, and probably got asking or more. And I still don't know who bought the house, but it may become a vacation rental. It has a small driveway. Let's say they try to, whoever rents that, tries to squeeze five couples into it, and they have five cars or maybe... And one of those couples, the, the wife can come up on Friday, but the husband can come up on Saturday with the kids. So they have to bring two cars. So now you have a three bedroom, two bath house with a small driveway with six cars in it. One of those might be parking on the road. One of them might be like squeezing onto the neighbor's lawn, things like that. That's just the kind of scenario that Liberty Grove is looking at. And I live in Liberty Grove. So that's the kind of thing that they're looking at trying to rein in with some of these new regulations. Right. It sounds like there are both zoning reasons for wanting to regulate, there's economic reasons for wanting to regulate, and then there's also the, like, giving your neighbors an opportunity to be heard in the conversation, right? Because mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're a full-time resident like you, Miles, you moved into your house, you don't rent it, your neighbor starts renting it, 
there's nothing that you can say about it when things get out of control other than contacting them directly and being like, Hey, the party's kind of wild this weekend. That sucks. And then <laughs> they don't have to do anything about it. Right. You can call the police on them, but what are they going to say? Be quiet. And then that doesn't fundamentally change the issue moving forward. Whereas regulations like this and, and working with a firm like Granicus would allow for some fundamental changes in that way. Yeah. You're, you're hitting on a really good point there. And this is one of the most intriguing things I thought about it. They have a three strikes and you're out policy and it's not like firm, but it says like, if you have three violations in whatever time period, the township can pull your permit, then you wouldn't be able to rent it at all. So what that does is greatly encourage a vacation home rental operator to be a good neighbor. And most of them are, let's be clear. Like most people, that's your property. You own it. You don't want it to be a mess. You don't want someone to damage things. You don't want things to get out of control. 99% of property owners are going to be pretty attuned to that anyway. But obviously the difference between a, a short-term rental place, and there are some people who own eight, 10, 12 short-term rental homes, maybe even more than that at this point. And a hotel is a hotel. There's a manager who's on site or nearby who's responsible for the operations there. So that hotel manager if you have 10 units, you don't want one person being loud and ruining the experience for your nine other guests. With short-term rentals, you don't have that component. You might have a property management person, but they're, that property management person is probably responsible for 500 disparate units all over the county. So it's not the same level of oversight. So by having that three strikes and you're out kind of policy, it's really going to be incumbent on a vacation rental person to you know, vet their guests, make sure that somebody's not saying, oh yeah, we're just going to bring up four people and end up with 18 people in your house and make sure you have someone monitoring that kind of thing. And it's also going to make you be a good neighbor because let's say something does happen. You want to know your neighbor then so that they call you and not the town or Granicus and seek an enforcement action because right. each one of those could count as a strike. Right. So you would rather have them like if I'm your neighbor and I'm renting it short term, I'm going to go and meet you and say like, Hey, Andrew, I'm opening a short-term rental place. I'm going to rent this, you know, 18 times a year. I want to be a good neighbor. Please. Here's my cell phone. Give me a call. If anything's out of line, I don't want strikes on me. I want to be a good neighbor. I'll, I'll take care of it kind of thing versus somebody who's just trying to look at it as an outside investment opportunity, suck their money out of it and not care about the neighbor. So it really doesn't encourage you to have a good relationship with the properties around you. Right. Is there anything else on this story at this time? Obviously, these are conversations that are being had all over the place, not limited to just Sevastopol and Liberty Grove. Not, not even limited to Door County, right? right? Any tourist destination in the country is grappling with this. So even when you have short-term, there are some short-term rental operators who are up in arms about any measure of regulation here. And I gave you kind of the comparison, like hotels have to do this. And their short-term rental operators are competing with hotels. Like if I'm a hotelier, I'm thinking, let's get this on the same playing field. Let's make them comply with the same things I have to deal with. But also all around the country, Door County is not unique. We've gotten letters from people who said like some of these regulations applied to short-term rentals are, they're comparing themselves to some of the most persecuted people in the country, right? Well, I was going to say too, like, I feel like there's this idea of like, well, it's my home. I can do with it what I want. Right. And yeah. so why should there be regulations on it? But when you start making money off of anything, there's regulations on anything that you do. Yeah. Right. If you're if you're selling, you know, antiques or hand me downs on eBay, once you reach a certain profit margin, you're going to be taxed in, in a different way or have to fill out, you know, different forms and that kind of stuff. So it doesn't doesn't matter that you're just making money off of your property that you own. As soon as you start doing that, you, you open yourself up to those types of things. 
Yeah, it's kind of how you end up with safety. And that's how you get confidence in an industry. It's why people create industry associations and you get licenses and stuff. It's not that it necessarily means it changed the way you operate, but it brings respectability to the industry in many ways. So customers know what they're going to get. When I say like, we're not the first, there are some people who think like, Door County is being draconian in some of the municipalities and how they're approaching this. But these are serious discussions that any tourist destination has, any city has, almost any rural place in America is having right now. If you go to Clearwater Beach, if you go to Aspen, if you go to Lake Tahoe, there's all these kinds of same discussions and debates about how do we handle this? And nobody's come up with the perfect answer yet. I mean, 10 years ago, this was already a major issue in cities like Chicago, New York, where it was driving people out of potential housing options because people were finding, oh, I can just do this on Airbnb. And people were subleasing apartments through Airbnb and then living elsewhere and violating the terms of use for their own condo association. Yeah. So there's I'm, all sorts of issues. With I'm this. glad that you brought that up and we'll move on because we have some other stuff to talk about. But that's the other component of it that we didn't even mention on how it affects housing, right? In terms of like... The, the best case scenario for a short-term rental is you have somebody who's up here a majority of the year and they rent it out in the off time to make ends meet. The worst case scenario is somebody who never comes up here and rents it out constantly and just takes it off the market from people who are looking to move here, right? Yeah. And so when you start to, when you, when you think about regulations, not everybody is, you know, trying to suck the money out of the land. Yeah. That's not the number one use case for short-term rentals. But that is a, a component on it. And when you have people who have the money to buy up every lot that they can, turn them into just short-term rentals, then that contributes to the already ridiculous housing problem that we have. Yeah, and it's clear, like some people would say, and they're correct, we have always done this. Door County was kind of built on this. We didn't have resorts at first. We had cottages that people rented out. Same kind of deal. Difference is the number of these units has more than tripled in the last 10 years. So it's a much larger portion of the housing stock is being rented on a short-term basis. And that is squeezing out what was already a housing problem. Like it gets more exacerbated every single day, but it was a huge problem 20, 25 years ago. So it's a growing problem with each day that passes that this county doesn't figure some of these things out. Right. And, you know, like I don't own a, a short-term vacation rental property. I don't own a second property at all. But man, I, I daydream about it because A, it could be a good investment and it could help people build wealth. In my case, I have five siblings who live all around the country and it would be great to have something that they could come back to and that I could kind of pay for them to stay in by renting it out other times of the year. So I get why people do it. I would probably do it if I had the resources to. I think almost anybody would if they had the resources to do it. So that's what makes it such a difficult thing to figure out. You're not bad for doing it. Someone's not a bad person for renting vacation rentals, right. despite what some people might say on Facebook. Right. All right, we have to move on because we have a lot of stuff to talk about. Next up, you tipped me off and told me to check out a piece that you had wrote on the Egg Harbor construction project. And I started reading it and I was like, oh, it's the one about Church Street. And I think that going forward, you really need to headline your articles, the one about Church Street, like things <laughs> like that, so that I know what we're talking about. <laughs> I am the primary audience for the paper. So making it easier yes, for me, okay. I think, would be better. So tell me about this. We, we've talked about the Egg Harbor construction project, you know, for years now at this point. We even had the previous village administrator, Ryan Heiss, on to talk about his grand dreams for Church Street and for connecting different things. Where are we at right now? Well, so I did this update because about a year and a half ago, we had Ryan Heiss on the podcast to talk with us about all the plans for the village of Egg Harbor. And they had a lot of things going on, still have a lot of things going on, both with the upcoming highway reconstruction project in 2023 and the Church Street project, which may start this fall, if not next spring. 
Church Street is the street that runs parallel to Highway 42, basically behind the village. It's an undeveloped street that is where you used to access like Newport Resort and Crest Pavilion, for those unfamiliar with it. And the village is embarking on a project to kind of urbanize that street with curb and gutter, bike lanes, and parking spaces. So by doing this, they're going to add 150 parking spaces. It's kind of a misnomer to say they're going to add because people already park there. So it's not like it's... Right. I was going to say, hooray, the parking problem is solved in Lake Harbor. (laughs) But no, the parking problem will be mostly the same. It, It will help because like people like me and a lot of others will park there and just pull over to the side of the road. Now they will have dedicated parking spaces with lines on them, which helps other people who are not as prone to just pulling over in somebody's yard like I might be. And then you'll have walking connectivity. By building that road, you're going to end up spurring development on that road. The Peg Egan is up there. You might think there's not a lot of room for development there, but one thing you know about Door County is if you make it easy to develop, it will happen. So I would expect Egg Harbor to expand a little bit up that way. So once you do that, are you really solving the parking problem or just you're going to add businesses up there that people are going to need to park by eventually anyway? But it will address it in the short term. It also creates some connectivity for cycling. So the original plan for the village, back when we talked to Ryan, also included bike lanes down the highway and a dedicated turn lane for both directions, kind of through the center of the village and taking away all the bump outs throughout the village. So right now, when I say bump outs, those are those little kind of where the curb comes out, creates a little grassy spot. Maybe they have bushes or a tree or a bench in there. But by doing those, it's nice for beautification. It's bad for providing parking. So they were going to take those out and that would get them about 50 new on-street parking spaces in the downtown core. So that actually is probably a bigger way to address the parking issues in Egg Harbor. You know, I'm interested in this idea of like what Church Street could become because like so many of the municipalities in Door County, like when you think of the different towns, most of the action happens on the main drag, right? Like when you think about... That's why it's called the main drag. Right. But if you were to, you know, expand Church Street, have some really cool things get developed in there, you have the opportunity to start to push Egg Harbor off of just the highway, right? And then it becomes like, oh, now it's these two cool streets with lots of cool activity going on on them. I think the only place that I can think of that really does that right now is Ephraim because you have the main drag, but then you also have everything behind that. I'm thinking Trixie's, Pearl Wine Cottage, Ephraim Coffee Lab, Moravian, all of that kind of stuff is off of the main drag actually like it's the street behind i mean you have it in in sturgeon bay as well you have jefferson street and that kind of thing but you don't really have it in sister bay you don't really have it in you have it in fish creek fish creek is the one i i think of as a the similar example in that you have the founder square area where you have this whole other shopping district in it that is the district that historically throughout my life every other village has been jealous of because They see tons of people, they see tons of pedestrian traffic, and a lot of little shops and cottages mixed in back there off of the main highway. So it creates this cool little community back there. Egg Harbor always has sought to create that for a long time. In fact, you know, what's now known as the Main Street Shops, when construction on that started in the late 80s, that was supposed to loop all the way behind the village along Church Street and connect to Main Street Market on the back side of the village. That's why Main Street Market and Main Street Shops have the same name. That was all going to be one big complex of five buildings plus the grocery store. And it stalled out after two. And it's kind of crazy to think back to that and go, wow, Egg Harbor thought they had enough demand or the developers thought they had enough demand to fill five of those buildings with retail stores. 
that's a ton of retail shopping experience if, if that had actually come to fruition. Clearly, we know now that there's not nearly enough demand for that many t-shirt shops. Right. But yeah, that's kind of what they were, they were looking at creating. And now with Church Street, that may be the case. You might pull and kind of spread out the village a little bit, which has its pros and cons. Some people would say Egg Harbor's plenty big enough. Some people would say, yeah, we need more development. But that's what they're doing is trying to urbanize that for, like I said, for parking and to alleviate some of the congestion downtown. But it probably will just eventually lead to more development up there. Right. Is there anything else on how things stand now that we should cover before we move on? Yeah. So the other interesting thing about the way the plans have changed in Egg Harbor, they were the first community to become a green tier community. They really focus on being a place to park once, walk around or bike around the village. Right. So I thought it was interesting that they decided to take the bike lanes off the highway. I was pretty excited as a cyclist and a proponent of cycling. I was pretty excited that finally a village in the county decided we're going to put bike lanes through town. And we're going to have bike lanes at all because there aren't any actual marked bike lanes in all of Northern Door County. (laughs) So I was pretty stoked about that. They've taken them off the main drag, the green tier community (laughs) that's promoting park once, walk and bike and said, no, we're going to run the cyclists around town, which is great if your goal is to get around town. But if your goal is to go to the town and visit the shops and, and bounce around between restaurants, you actually want the cycling through the town. Right. It's not saying that you're going to get ticketed if you bike through town now, but they're still not going to have, say, Sharrows or bike signage through the downtown core. They're going to encourage you to go around, which is a little bit against the largely stated goals of the village and of that green tier effort. So I thought that was interesting. I understand why they did it, but interestingly as well, for a green tier community, you're saying we're going to give up bike lanes in favor of more parking spots. And that's precisely why they did it. Yeah, and that kind of seems like that. But I mean, I get the that it still lends to the goal of park and then explore on foot. But I don't know, it just seems a little counter. You're trading human-powered recreation and transportation yeah. for coal-powered you're, you're blaming Ryan Heiss, right? He yeah, left and Ryan. he took no. the bike lanes with <laughs> yes, him. Yes, he took them. He, he stole the bike lanes and went to Michigan. Right. So that was interesting to me. And then um, they've decided they're going to put these turn lanes in in the center of town which I'll probably go down to Egg Harbor and take some video. I mean, I I know it gets backed up. Again, I drove through Sister Bay, and a lot of people complain about the congestion in Sister Bay. But on 4th of July and the 5th of July, say when that storm came in and everyone was rolling into their cars, out of the marina, and trying to get off the beaches and stuff, to go through town, it took four and a half minutes because I timed it on my watch. Like, okay, normally it would take about a minute to go through Sister Bay, but four and a half, one of the busiest days of the year, After a storm, when everyone's flooding into the street, that's really not that bad. If you decide to live in a tourist community, you're going to deal with congestion. That's just what you signed up for. If not, you can live in Lena, you know. So same thing in Egg Harbor. There are days that it's backed up, and I get it. But even putting in the turn lanes, because yes, it can be hard to turn onto Highway G, can be hard to turn onto Whitecliff Road, but it's hard to turn onto those roads like, what, 15? For a small segment of the day, 15 days a year. So expanding this highway infrastructure and your parking infrastructure and your turn lane infrastructure in the middle of your town. So you have to stare at this wide swath of concrete for the other 340 or 350 days a year to accommodate a small delay for 10 or 15 days a year is an interesting choice to make for a green tier community. Right. Especially when the emphasis on a green tier community is getting people out and walking why are you putting so much emphasis on getting people to drive through and and drive through Quickly. faster? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, if you, if you are stuck in traffic for five minutes through Egg Harbor, you get to look at all the stuff in Egg Harbor that you could potentially pull over and go do. Which is precisely the reason that 10 or 15 years ago, Sturgeon Bay went to two lane streets 
they used to be one way on Third Avenue, and a, a lot of the shop owners worked hard to get the city to agree to put in two-way streets because you'd slow traffic down and get people to stop and look around and see the shops and want to stop and, and walk around the city. Speeding up traffic gets them flying through there. Yeah, I guess in a way congestion is a good problem to have in... Like From a, a shopkeeper's perspective. Yeah, it can for be. an economic thing because, you know, if it's my town, I want people in it. I want people to take their time going through it. I don't want to be bypassed. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want people speeding through my, my downtown core. There are, there are issues with it too. Everyone, even me, and I have a, a large amount of patience. Nobody likes sitting in traffic. Nobody likes sitting paused and stuff. But I guess the perspective of coming from a city where you'd sit at a suburban stoplight for two and a half minutes at almost every stoplight, then to come up here and, okay, on the busiest days of the year, it takes me four minutes to go through town. And I know all the back roads. I chose to go through town too. Like as a local, I wanted to see how long it took. But I, if I don't want to, I just turn left at Birdo's and I take Woodcrest around Sister Bay. It's actually not that difficult. Same thing in Egg Harbor. If you don't want to go through the traffic, you can turn left and still access everything in downtown from Church Street. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's funny that you bring up like being in the city and driving because I had forgotten about it until I went and visited Minneapolis earlier this year. And I'm so used to in Door County that a mile means a minute, right? So if I'm 20 <laughs> yeah. miles from something, I'm 20 minutes from it. Exactly. And then on the dot, right? Yeah. And then in Minneapolis, it was like, oh, it's only five miles away. It's going to be a 25 minute drive. It's like, what is, yeah, what least. is that? Yeah. Chicago, that struck me too. Like I could, in Door County, I could live 15 miles from the Y and drive there in 15 minutes. And in Chicago, I could live one mile from the gym and drive there in 15 minutes. So I would always run to the gym just because it was just, I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll save that time. I'll go to my workout. <laughs> right. Did they consider putting a roundabout in right in the middle? I think there was talk of it. I just don't think there's space. And, you know, it seems like a roundabout is a replacement for an intersection, but it does take up more property because you have that big empty space in the middle. And then you have a bunch of pedestrian issues because it does seem like, okay, if you went to that, that corner in Egg Harbor, it would seem like a perfect place for a roundabout. If you were planning Egg Harbor now from scratch and you didn't have to worry about any buildings around there, you would put a roundabout right there and it would make it so much better. Like look at Sturgeon Bay. People were up in arms when they put in roundabouts, but I love them. I never, I used to sit at two stoplights every time you'd go through and try to get to the bridge in the summer. And now you just zoom around the roundabouts, even though there's some people who don't know how they work still, but I account for that in my thinking. Right. Miles, we have just a couple last things that I want to touch on, things that you can find in this week's paper. I won't go too in-depth in them because part of the fun of the arts and entertainment section is reading about the arts and entertainment. But there are a couple <laughs> of things that I wanted to just mention. We have a feature story on A Tale of Two, which is part of the Peninsula Pulse Presents music series oh, yeah. that we're doing this year. Uh, they are going to be performing this month. I believe their first performance is Friday, July 16th, uh, and that's going to be during the Bailey's Harbor concert in the park at the town hall. And these are organized by our very own Vanessa McGowan. Right. Who this weekend played at the White House. Did you see this? No, I didn't know. I knew that she played all sorts of places, but I didn't know that she played at the White House. Yeah, well, she's a good musician, obviously. But yeah, she was playing at the White House for the 4th of July celebration and actually met President Joe Biden. Huh, fantastic. Well, if, you, if you've heard Vanessa's name before, you've probably been reading her music articles that she's been writing uh, over the past nine months or so. And she brought in two bands for this summer, the first of which is A Tale of Two. So you can check them out soon. I, I listened to some of their music. They are a Southern Gothic band. 
which Vanessa told me and I had her elaborate because I'd never heard of that before. Yeah, tell me what that is. You know what I mean when I say it's like- It's not the same as a goth band? No, it is Southern, not the same as Southern a goth Southern goth band seems like an oxymoron. <laughs> so when you think of goth and gothic, you probably think of two different things, right? Yes. So goth, you think of nowadays goth, band t-shirts, black hair, fingernail polish. I'm coming up with goth stereotypes. Yes. When you think gothic- you probably think architecture, vampire times. American Gothic. Yeah, that kind of Two, thing. It, a it's, couple with pitchforks. It's that, but specifically like Southern. Okay. Right? Um, so they they mix a, a really interesting blend of kind of folk and blues with dark, somber themes and storytelling. It, they're really cool. I would definitely recommend checking them out on Spotify uh, before you go see the concert because they have some really, really cool stuff. Another piece that I wanted to talk about just briefly because it's really cool and kind of unique. Lars Toppelman has been wing foiling out in Bailey's Harbor. Yeah. So Miles, when you when you sit down at your desk, you can look out over the water and you can see people with all manner of kites and wings and stuff strapped to them flying up and down in the harbor, right? Yeah, I can see that because Dave doesn't let anybody sit at the desk between me and the window because nobody can block his view of the water. Right. But you can you see the the kite boarders and the wing surfers and all of that kind of stuff in the harbor. Well, Lars is doing something similar but different because what he's been doing is getting out on what is called a wing foil, which is actually two different pieces of equipment that combine to give you a different experience on the water. So imagine, if you will, a paddle board or like a surfboard, right? Uh, but underneath it, there's like a six foot stick with its own kind of like buoyancy system. So you actually ride on that part of it. The board isn't in the water. It's the foil that's in the water. And therefore you are six feet in the air above the water. Yeah, it's pretty rad to see. Yeah, it's, it's cool. And you can do it without the wing part of wing foiling, which is the big kite basically that he holds that picks the wind up and brings him around you can do it without that and i've seen people manually they pump up and down with their legs and that creates the energy to move them forward on the foil Uh, but he uses a wing so it's a combination of like kite boarding but you're in the air and it all combines to give you this really cool sensation of flying over the water rather than you know skimming the top of it So uh, Jessica Gatto wrote up a piece on him with some great photos by Rachel Lucas and Tad Ducart that kind of show off this really cool thing that he's doing. And by our knowledge, he's the only one who's doing it out in Bailey's Harbor. So, Or in Ephraim Harbor. But yeah, I I don't think it's really taken hold in, in Door County yet. I guess it's getting bigger and bigger down in Florida and other parts of the country. They're kind of a version of this. If you want to look up one of the worst videos you'll ever see, there's a video of Mark Zuckerberg doing some foiling, not with the wing foil, but him floating on a lake to John Denver, holding an American flag for like a minute. And uh, if you didn't have enough reasons to not like Mark Zuckerberg, this is the one you needed. Is this the one where he's just absolutely covered in sunscreen? Have you seen that photo of no. him out on the water? He's out on the water and he's looking back like he just captured a photo of Bigfoot and his face is completely covered in sunscreen oh, no. it looks like he just got one. pied in the face <laughs> if you thought that he was a robot before go look at this picture because he's like yes human face needs sunscreen to, <laughs> for protection that's what it looks like it's fantastic <laughs> and finally this week if you need another reason to pick up the pulse 
we pulled out kind of a, a little write-up on some of the new restaurants that you can find this year. So if you're up here for the first time this year and you're like, hey, I want to check out some new food, we have about a dozen of them that we were able to pull out for this week. So yeah, consider and this your guide. There's normally in a year, there might be a half dozen new restaurants that open up up here. I think we have this backlog from the COVID year, even though a few places did dare to open last year. And so there's like these dozen or so new restaurants that have opened already. There's still some in the works. That doesn't even include the ones that changed ownership necessarily, but kept the same name or are operating the same way. Just a lot of new stuff. A lot of, it always inspires me to see the the entrepreneurial spirit, I guess, and the, and the willingness of people to take risks and dive in up here. Yeah, and new stuff, not just new restaurants, but new different types of food that you can get in different yeah. types of ways too, right? So food trucks at Nicolay Beach, totally new environment for them. DCBC Eats is kind of their food shack that they have, the Dark County Brewing Company has on their property. Mm -hmm. um, you have the Noshery in Sturgeon Bay, which is a board game cafe that just opened up. So there's just lots of different types of things. In addition to new, you know, standing restaurants like Loft in Fish Creek, which is in the, the Juniper's Gin Joint building, right? So you have a big mix of both new restaurants and new types of food experiences that you can have. Right. And so uh, if you're looking for something new to check out this weekend, grab the pulse and bring it around with you because there's something new in pretty much every town. Excellent. With that, Miles, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you so much for chatting with me and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at the Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time. I can't take this anymore. I'm going to go play in the mud.